We often associate youth movements with progressive politics, but our next story shows that's not always the case. Gary, Indiana, was once home to a thriving steel industry. The pull of jobs there created a diverse population in the early 20th century, including Eastern European immigrants and African Americans. But simmering tensions between these white and black communities exploded on September 18, 1945. That day, hundreds of students walked out of Frable High. The strikers were white. The object of their protest? Their African-American classmates. Producer Nina Ernest has the story. According to local reports, the Frable strike began after a fight broke out between black and white students at a football game. But racial tensions in Gary had been brewing for quite some time. Frable was located in Gary's central district, the only integrated neighborhood in a very segregated city. As a result, Frable was its only integrated school. Historian Ronald Cohen says that this was a point of contention for Frable's white student body. These were uh, ethnic white students, uh, Eastern European background, and they felt that they were being discriminated against, that the richer white kids in Gary went to all white schools, but they were picked on because they were uh, of ethnic ancestry. The more overt discrimination, however, was within Frable itself. When the school was built, it was really supposed to be this melting pot, this uh, showcase integrated school. This is Casey Pfeiffer of the Indiana Historical Bureau. But the school was internally segregated. So African-American students, though they, you know, walked the same halls as white students there, they could not attend the same classes um, or participate in many of the same extracurricular activities. Black students would be on the sports teams, which were integrated, but otherwise uh, they had a separate prom for the black students from the white students. They had two swimming pools in the building, uh, but the swimming was segregated, so black students only swam on Friday before they cleaned the pool. Despite this inequality, it was the white students who decided to strike and air their grievances in 1945. As more and more black Southerners moved to Gary for wartime employment and more black students enrolled at Frable, the situation reached a tipping point. The white students, led by a boy named Leonard Lavenda, presented the school board with a few demands. What they wanted was that the school system remove all of the black students from Frable and put them in other schools. Students also wanted to oust Principal Richard Newsom, who they believed was giving preferential treatment to African-American students. And lastly, that the Gary School Board stopped treating its students like guinea pigs in racial integration experiments. The student walkout elicited strong reactions in Gary and beyond. The working-class white community and many of their parents backed the youth. But African-Americans, about a fifth of Gary's population at that time, condemned them. A black newspaper called the Indianapolis Recorder reported that the African-American students at Frable were deeply hurt and insulted by their classmates' attitudes. It's important to understand that this comes at just after World War II ends, which was the war fought for freedom, democracy, toleration, and so forth. You know, here we were fighting against Hitlerism, Nazism, fascism abroad, and, you know, you come home to face inequality, race hatred um, here at home. This was not lost on the people of Gary. One journalist remarked, 
A Negro student hurrying to his class in an all but deserted Frable High last week during the hate strike of white students found time to turn and observe. My brother was killed overseas just six months ago, fighting for this school and all the other fascists here. The school board refused to remove black students from Frable. Instead, its members promised to investigate the principal and put him on leave. The strikers returned to school in an uneasy truce. But Newsom was soon reinstated, and the white students walked out yet again on October 23rd. This time, they had a new demand. So, interestingly enough, the second time, they basically say, you know, if we're going to be integrated, all schools in Gary should be integrated. Um, It doesn't make sense to have one and not the other. Pfeiffer and Cohen say this isn't as much of an about-face as it seems. This goes back to the point um, from their initial strike when they said they no longer wanted to be guinea pigs. Right. They said, you're picking on us because we're working-class ethnics, and that's not fair. So integrate the whole city. By this point, the Frable hate strikes had attracted national attention. So much so that one of the biggest stars of the 20th century made a special stop in the troubled city. Leaden skies today had a silver lining, and damp cold winds blew heart-stirring melodies for thousands of teenage devotees of the King of Swoon, who came by plane this morning from New York City to croon Gary Bobby Soxers and their boyfriends into a democratic attitude on the race relations problem. Frank Sinatra was the most popular performer in the country, by far. And he was uh, very liberal politically, And uh, he believed strongly that the strike was wrong. Sinatra chatted with Frable students and, of course, performed for the town. The girl strikers were supposed to boycott. They said they're not going to go to hear Frank, but some of them snuck in. They couldn't miss a free Frank Sinatra concert. Sinatra warned the students about the Nazi technique of divide and conquer and requested the strikers to return to school as a favor, and I shall be grateful to you. Now, that didn't go over too well. He also met privately with Leonard Lavenda, the white student leader. Sinatra offered him a trip to New York to talk things through. Lavenda told the crooner that he couldn't be bought. Sinatra's visit was extraordinary, but it didn't accomplish very much. Life magazine, which covered the event, said Frankie was, quote, deeply earnest at the high school meeting. First he sang some songs. Then he made some vague references to the American way of life and the hot dog. When it was all over, Frankie had failed. The strike was still on. But the walkouts didn't last for much longer. The strikers had a powerful enemy. The uh, elite in Gary, which was the Daily newspaper, the Post Tribune, the business community, the leadership from U.S. Steel, they were all very opposed to the strike. There were a few reasons for this. It was disruptive and there were fears of violence. For many residents, it was shameful. But it was also an image problem, especially in the wake of World War II. The Gary Post Tribune went so far as to call out the strikers' families for their motives. The article really makes it clear and says that fundamentally this is not a school problem. It is developed out of the changing population in the Frable area. 
As a result of this influx of Negro families, some white property owners feel their homes and churches have depreciated in value. So it really goes, you know, this was a larger issue than, you know, what's happening in the schools. Um, Again, really underscoring the racial tension that was prevalent in the area, and not just in Gary, but in the North at this time. With the weight of public pressure, the school board cracked down on the student protesters. If you are over 16, you face expulsion. If you're under 16, your parents face legal action. They continue to press and press and press, and eventually the the students do back down. The white community did not back them up, and so they couldn't win. The white students went back to school by mid-November, almost two months after they first walked out. The irony is that what is remembered as a hate strike had a positive outcome, at least on paper. In August 1946, the school board passed an anti-discrimination order that effectively integrated the school system. You want to think that it is a positive thing and how great the story would be if the students were going on strike because initially they wanted all schools to be integrated and they were protesting segregation. But that's really not um, what that story was, you know. And again, it goes back to why this was called a hate strike. It was unfortunate and it is contradictory to what I think many of us think of in terms of um, you know, student activism. At the same time, you know, these students were taking a stand for something that they believed in, um, no matter how hard, you know, it might be for some of us to believe that that was happening at the time. Leonard Lavenda died in 1995. His brother told a local reporter that Leonard believed that schools should be integrated and, quote, through his efforts and those of other students, eventually all schools in Gary were. Now, that's all uh, great when you dig deeper. You know, segregation and discrimination is continuing to happen. As hard as the city's white elite fought against the student hate strike, they didn't look at their own policies. They made few efforts to integrate the city as a whole. And without integrated neighborhoods, it's hard to have integrated schools. The white elite and establishment in Gary is okay in terms of having Frabel, again, as this showcase integrated example. But really, when you look at the community, um, no one's really pushing the envelope too far to make sure that integration does happen. There's an unexpected coda to this story. Gary remained a segregated city. But in the decades that followed, Frabel High School became much more to its alumni than the site of a hate strike. Indiana State Representative Vernon Smith graduated from Frabel in 1962. He says that less than 20 years after the walkout, conditions for Black students had improved astronomically. I didn't even think about segregation in high school. I mean, I, I thought about it when I got outside of those walls. There were certain sections of the city that we couldn't live in. There were certain sections of the city we couldn't be in after it got dark. So that was part of Gary's history. It it was segregated. But Frabel, he says, was a haven from that discrimination. The school board closed the school in 1977, despite protests, and the building was torn down in 2005. Today, it's a park. Smith and his fellow alumni still reunite every year to celebrate their time at the school. He also worked with the state and Casey Pfeiffer's office to ensure the location be remembered as a historical site. I firmly believe if you don't tell your history and people don't know your history, that you're destined for for it to repeat itself. 
And so we want the young people to know what happened there and, and not just see it as a park. And I can genuinely say that I love Frable. So I'm going to do all I can to keep alive the memory and, and the worth of anything that I love. So uh, the Frable spirit lives. Nina Ernest is one of our producers. Ronald Cohen, Casey Pfeiffer, and Vernon Smith helped her tell that story. Cohen is Professor Emeritus of History at Indiana University Northwest. Pfeiffer is a historian at the Indiana Historical Bureau. And Smith is a state representative of the Indiana Legislature. <laughs>